A little background as we, we get started here, Ezekiel, he's a priest. As we make the transition from Jeremiah Lamentations into Ezekiel, what Jeremiah gave us was the viewpoint of the fall of Jerusalem uh, while living in Judea and in Jerusalem. However, Ezekiel was taken somewhere along the time with Daniel. So we got Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel all being contemporaries with each other. Um, Ezekiel is going to be in Babylon. His ministry, he's there before the fall of Jerusalem, but he's going to be there after the fall of Jerusalem also. And um, it's one of the most incredible books in the Bible. Um, A lot of it is gonna be past tense, dealing with um, what it was like being in Babylon during that time, what his job was, ministering to the people, because the false prophets were saying, Jerusalem hasn't fallen yet, and some of these false prophets were in Babylon saying, don't worry about a thing. You're gonna be going home soon. Jehoiakim's gonna return back home. So we have in chapter four tonight, Ezekiel laying on his side for so many days for the 10 tribes of Israel in the north. And then for 40 days, he's going to lay on his side uh, for Judah, telling them it's not going to happen. You guys are going to stay here for the duration of the 70 years. Um, Chapter 1, to me, is one of the most incredible uh, chapters in the entire Bible. It's mind-boggling, and um, it deals with the throne of God, and we'll look into that more fully on Sunday morning. When we get to chapters 35 and 36 and 37, um, it's future tense. Some of the most important prophecies in the world deal with the regathering of Israel back into the land. And then, of course, the famous chapter, Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, the Ezekiel War. We find that in this book. And then from 40 to 48, we deal with um, very detailed information that's going to take place uh, during the millennial reign. Um, So the book is really divided up in a very interesting way. And what I'd like to do, even before we get to chapter 1, to lay the background for this first chapter here, we need to go to the book of Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Again, as you look at chapter 4, you're beginning the third division of the book of Revelation. In Revelation 1.19, I've said this over and over again, but that's how we learn. And that is the book is divided into three sections. It is very literal. The very fact of the name Revelation means to unveil. So it's not an allegorical book. As uh, mainline Protestants teach, it's not to be taken literally. Um, It's very literal. And the divisions of the book, verse 19, write the things that you've seen. That would be chapter 1, John. Write the things that are, that's present tense. That would be chapters 2 and 3. And then write the things which will take place after the church. So as you look at chapter 4, we've just finished with the church of Laodicea, all in red letters. And when we look at chapter four, you're looking at the beginning 
of the third division of the book of Revelation. When it says, after these things, it's the Greek phrase, metatanta, after what things? After the things of the church. I looked and behold a voice and I heard like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now we're gonna see this in chapter one but in much greater detail of Ezekiel. Around the throne were 24 elders. And this we don't see in chapter one of Ezekiel, but we do see the four zoa, or the four creatures. Um, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightning, thunders, and voices. This is gonna be greatly enlarged as we get into chapter one of Ezekiel. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne that are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of grass like crystal. We have a little bit more information here in Revelation because it's worded just a little bit differently in Ezekiel. So the sea of glass, like an ocean of glass before the throne and in the midst of the throne and around the throne. So already we got difficulty with trying to describe something because it just told us two different things, but both are true. In the throne and around the throne were four living creatures. It's the the word zoa. Uh, Full of eyes in front and in back. Now, here, this is important that we read Revelation's account of it, because there's been so many off-the-wall books written about the wheels in Ezekiel chapter 1 being flying saucers. And I'll talk about that when I get to it. Um, But these four creatures have that are not described very much here but are in great detail in Ezekiel had eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second like a calf, and the third was like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures... There's no other name that really describes it because there's nothing that the Lord has ever made like these four beings. Each having six wings. Um, In Ezekiel, it only describes four, but evidently he only mentions four. And here there's six. They do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who is, who was and is and is to come. And whenever these living Creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fell down before him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and they were created. Let's turn back to the book of Ezekiel with that much of a background. And as we look at uh, the first three verses, we're going to get the location of where Jeremiah is. came to pass in the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, that I was among the captives by the river Shabar. Now, the river Shabar evidently was um, uh, part of uh, the Euphrates that was diverted, and um, 
So he's stating that he's in Babylon and he's with the captives. And his ministry is going to be to those people who are now in captivity. Um, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions, plural, of God. And on the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity. So the false prophets were saying this king who's still alive is going to be going back to Babylon. So this gives us a time reference. So we have the place and the time. The word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Shabar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And now we get into one of the wildest rides in the Bible as what has always been. And this is where your mind starts to go tilt, tilt, tilt. <laughs> we're, ta- we're reading something here as far as the Father's concerned that has always been. The angels are all created. When and where they were created, we don't know. We know they were there when the world was created because it says all the angels sang for joy when planet Earth was created. So we have this heavenly scene. Then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north and a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself and brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber. This is one of my favorite colors. I like the soft earth tones and um, the warm tones of wood gives it a nice ambiance. And evidently, this is the color that the Lord chose that came out of the midst of the, of the fire. Also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. Now, mind you, this is all part of the throne itself. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, And this is what we don't read in Revelation. Each one had four faces. Now, if you just read the Revelation account, you would think that there's just four beings with four different faces. No, there are, each one had, each one of these four beings had four faces themselves. And each one had four wings. Revelation says six. Just tuck that away. It's not a contradiction. It's just um, uh, Ezekiel mentions four here. The legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. They had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides. So we have a four-sided being with four different faces and each of the four faces and wings. Now their wings touched one another. And the creatures did not turn when they went. They were always in movement, but they didn't turn when they went. But each one went straight forward. Um, And again, we have four different faces, and they're all going straight forward. So already we're describing something I can't describe. I believe it's multi-dimension plus added a factor. There is no time in eternity. And uh, so there's just things that when Paul saw... He said, I can't put it in, there's no, he said, I heard things, you just can't put it into words. Now we're seeing things that we can't really put into words. And the likeness of their faces, plural, each had the face of a man, 
Each had the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox or a calf on the left side. And each of the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were the faces. Their wings were stretched upward. So you have two wings reaching upward uh, and touched one another. And the two covered their bodies. And each one went straight forward. They went wherever the spirit wanted to go. And they did not turn when they went. I I have the idea that there's continuous motion taking place here. Four different faces. I think in my mind I'm thinking four dimensional. As this is happening going back and forth. And they're all going straight forward at the same time. Are you confused yet? (laughs) And each one went straight forward. They went wherever the spirit wanted to go. And they did not turn when they went. And as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like a burning coals of fire and like the appearance of torches, fire was going back and forth among the living creatures. Add that into what you're visualizing right now. Not mentioned in Revelation. And the fire was bright and out of the fire comes lightning. Wow. And this is a continual thing that's a part of the throne. It's around the throne, but it also said it's in the throne. There's constant movement wherever the spirit wants to go, they go back and forth. And then there's fire going between them as they're moving, and out of the fire comes the lightning. And the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like the flashing of lightning. Now we have this heavenly scene going on all the time around the eternal throne of God. What an, what a, what an, um, <laughs> what an entrance as you would stand before the throne of God. And we're talking about our creator. And when I read this, it always blows my mind when I read it, but we're so unaware of the, the spiritual realm and we're so unaware of what in the conversation that the Lord is going to have, what's on his mind. Here's a creator with all this stuff going on, but when he gets in dialogue with Ezekiel, it's just about his people not listening. That's what all this is going to be about. And he's going to be talking with that to Ezekiel. So this is how we're going to begin the book of Ezekiel with these four. They're not cherubim. They're different than the cherubim. They're different than the angels. They're different than the principalities and powers, the hierarchy in the angelic realm. These guys are different. Um, and at what we read, what we didn't read here, but read in Revelation, as um, they day and night say, "Holy, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come." And when that happens. The 24 elders weren't around yet because I believe they represent the church age and um, the 12 tribes of Israel. And you might think, Dwight, where do you get that from? Well, when you go and read in Revelation 20 about the new Jerusalem and the gates and the the walls of the city, they're named after the 12 tribes of Israel, but also the 12 apostles. And so I think there's a pretty good argument for making that case, but they're not mentioned here 
because it would be future tense and that what we see in Revelation. All right, verse 15. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each of the living creatures with its four faces. So just when it's already blowing your mind, now we're introduced to these wheels that was on the earth beside each of the living creatures with the four faces, and the appearance of the wheels uh, and their works was like the color of beryl, and the four had the same likeness, and the appearance of their works was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of the wheel. So you don't know the Lord. You've never read Revelation, where it talks about these wheels being full of eyes. And, um, and you read a chapter like this, and it's a, you know, it sounds like a flying saucer to me. And believe me, there's books out there that quote Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 16, about flying saucers in the Bible. They're not flying saucers. They are unbelievably four unique created beings, and there's nothing like them in the universe. When they went, they went toward any one of the four directions. Again, I don't think we can, we're talking multidimensional. And when they moved, now we have these, what we learn in Revelation are really eyes that are part of these, the Zoa. And they did not turn aside when they went. Now as for their rims, they were so high they were awesome. I bet you that's an understatement. And their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. Now when we read it in Revelation, they're all part of the Zoa themselves. When the living creatures went, well, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Whenever the spirit wanted to go, they went because the spirit went and the wheels were lifted together with them for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Is this wild or what? When those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them, for the spirit of the living creatures, plural, was in the wheels. What they don't tell us here is what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy. So what do we have? Four creatures, four faces, all going forward at the same time. All at the same time. And then between them, you have fire going back and forth between them as they're going back and forth. Out of the fire, lightning. And what's added to this that's not recorded here is what they say day and night forever and ever and ever. What an introduction to the throne of the living God who's created all things. It's sort of his butler, if you will. (laughs) Welcome to the throne of the creator of the universe, what that must be like. I think the enemy has tried in his ways to uh, have and want that sort of worship and adoration. Of course, he always makes counterfeits. I think a lot of his counterfeits today come in the form of, of the facade of, say, a Las Vegas or a Hollywood. And it's nothing but... Um, 
a big facade. All right, now the firmament, we read in Revelation, before the throne there's a sea of crystal. So now we pick it up in verse 22. The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creature was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. Well, in Revelation it says it's a sea of crystal of glass before the throne. Here we have insight where it tells us it's above the head of the living creatures. And under the firmament, their wings spread out straight, one towards another. Each one had two which covered one side, and each one had two which covered the other side of the body. When they went, I heard the noise of their wings. It was like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. So this is something I want to see. And a voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads, and whenever they stood, they let down their wings. Wow. Now, Above the firmament and over their heads was the likeness of a throne in appearance, like a jasper stone. Okay, are you connecting the dots? That's exactly what Revelation says, like a jasper stone. On the likeness of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man high above it. And we'll look at, on Sunday, we'll get into this more in chapter 5 of Revelation. And from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw as it were the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire and brightness all around. Like the appearance of a rainbow. There it is again. So what John, God bless you. What God uh, showed John is what the Lord is showing here to Ezekiel. The appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. (laughs) So when I saw it, I fell on my face. I bet you he did. And I heard a voice of one speaking. This is eternal. Everything here is temporal. We're just passing through. Um, Jesus said heaven and earth is gonna pass away. But my word's not gonna pass away. This throne is not gonna pass away. And um, these creatures will go on into eternity. We can't grasp eternity because we have time. We're on schedules. We just entered into the the fall season. And um, this is something that continues on in a realm, in a dimension. And um, chapter one of Ezekiel is just totally mind-blowing to me. Now, so if we have that in chapter one, what we have in chapter two is after he had this vision, now Ezekiel is gonna receive his call. The Bible says to make your calling and election sure. Um, We see how the Lord called Jeremiah. Now we're going to see how the Lord is going to speak to um, Ezekiel in his calling. Apparently, when he received it, he was standing up 
Um, and he went and died on his face, but it says the spirit. And he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Now, this son of man, uh, God addresses him as son of man. This is the title found exactly 100 times in the book of Ezekiel. Not 99, not 101. It occurs 100 times in the book of Ezekiel. Daniel is also called the son of man. Only these two men in the Old Testament were called by this title. This is also the title that the Lord Jesus applied to himself. 86 times in the New Testament he used the title for himself, the Lord calling himself the son of man. It speaks of him in his rejection, his humiliation, in his exaltation. He is the son of man. So it's a short chapter, just 10 verses long. And in chapter two, what we're going to see is now the Lord ordaining him. And he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And then the spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet and I heard him who spoke to me. And he said unto me, son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Now, I'm trying to put this in perspective. He's just had this experience where he's seen this unbelievable vision of the throne of God with all this interaction between these four living creatures. And now he's face down, and all of a sudden the one on the throne is speaking to him. And... Um, these creatures that worship day and night, they must just, when they're not doing anything else, they've got to be shaking their head at the people on planet Earth. Uh, the Lord says, I'm going to send you to these people that have sinned against me, for they're impotent, they're stubborn, and I'm going to send you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, I don't want you to be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or be dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious people. Like Jeremiah, they're going to blow you off. They're not going to listen. They're not going to want to hear it. But like Jeremiah, the Lord says, don't let that deter you. You stand your ground, and when I say to say, you say it. Jesus, um, in the New Testament, when he was sending out his disciples, said, when I send you out, I want you to be as wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. And if they don't hear you, then you shake the dust off your feet, and you go on to the next town that will. And then he says, concerning the towns that rejected me at Bethsaida, Chorazin, all these mighty miracles that the Lord has done, it said it would be better for them um, in the day of judgment, it's going to be worse for them than Sodom and Gomorrah, because, or Nineveh, because with the preaching in Nineveh, they repented. But, there were people that saw Jesus and did saw his miracles, and still they hardened their heart and wouldn't believe. So the Lord has given a heads up to Ezekiel and, and said, 
they're, they're stiff-necked. But in verse 7, you will speak my words to them whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me. Behold, a scroll and the book was in it. Then he spread it before me and it was writing on the inside on the outside and writing on it was lamentations and mourning and woe. Keep your finger here before you go to chapter three and go to Revelation chapter 10. John is given a little book. And again, we want to connect the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Ezekiel's just been given a book to eat. It's going to be sweet in his mouth, and we'll read that later, and bitter lamentations and mournings and woe. So chapter 10 of Revelation, I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud, And a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had a little book in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. This one will trip you up. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write what they said, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. That's gotta be the biggest tease in the universe. Why put it in there in the first place? Why? They, there's, you don't need to bring it up. But it begs the question, Lord, why would you tease us with something like that? Oh, by the way, there were seven thunders. And I was about to write a bomb, but a voice from heaven said, no, shut up and seal it. So someday we're going to find out as this thing is unfolding, we'll be sitting like this. All right, the seven thunders just spoke. Now we're going to find out. Finally, after all these years. An angel whom I was standing, who had his feet standing on the sea and land, lifted up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that they should be delay no longer. Talk about the patience of the Lord. But in the days of the sounding of the seven angels, when he was about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. There's a whole Bible study right there. As he declared to his servant the prophets, all right, Ezekiel we have in view because he ate a little book too. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again saying, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And then he said, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. I believe it was the book of Revelation. And um, 
And now, when we begin the book of Revelation, what do we have? Unbelievable, beautiful promises given to the church that will reign with the Lord as kings and priests for a thousand years. We read last Sunday that when we get to heaven, joy forevermore, and at his right hand, um, treasures and pleasures beyond description. We have all these wonderful promises. Well, that's pretty sweet to me. How about you? But then you start to digest the book of Revelation. And it just gets more intense, intense, intense. Do the trumpet judgments, one-third of all water, gone. All, one-third of all green things, gone. One-third of the ocean, gone. But when you get to the bold judgments, it's even more severe and bitter And that all the oceans, all the fresh water, all the green grass is gone. And so the intensity of the awesomeness of this book, when you take it in, the way I see it is it starts out sweet. But then as you start to digest and actually take in what lies ahead during the Great Tribulation, gang, you don't want any of your friends going through that. Good place for an amen. And um, a good place where this becomes a reality check for you and I is like we prayed, turning your eyes and looking towards the Lord and um, seeing what's really important. Because when you read the book, you see what's coming down the road. Let's go back to chapter three of Ezekiel. And again, it's important that we connect the dots. We've already connected major dots with the four Zoas, the creatures, uh, with Revelation four and five. But now we make a connection identical to Revelation 10, only this book I believe is different because I believe this book was the words that Jeremiah is going to be speaking to those who are in captivity and his primary message is don't think you guys are going home. Don't listen to those false prophets, it's not gonna happen. I would liken it today to the the prosperity teachers, the feel-good gospel, the Joel Olsteins of the world, don't buy into it. It's not about you. That's what Joel Olstein would like you to believe. Every one of his books is something about you. you. Your best life now. No, your best life isn't now. Your best life is coming. And if you don't have that one figured out yet, that should be a no-brainer, amen? <laughs> that should be a no-brainer. But again, if you don't know the word and you don't, teach the word, then you're gonna get this very, very shallow form of Christianity. Sermonettes for Christianettes, and nothing deep, nothing meaty, and they certainly haven't tasted uh, the sweetness and the other side of the coin, uh, consider the, the goodness and the severity of God. He's merciful, not willing that any should perish, but at the same time, he's very, very just, and he's holy. And whatever you reap, you will sow. There are certain principles. Gravity is a a, a principle. Works every single time. Well, so does the principle of you reap what you sow. Sooner or later, what you have sown, you will reap. You can't change it. So we get into chapter three. And I always call, moreover, he said to me, son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat the scroll And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate it, 
and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. Are you connecting dots? And he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them, for you are not sent to the people of unfamiliar speech and of a hard language, but of the house of Israel. And not too many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. This reminds me of the rich man being in hell, but very, very much aware of his surroundings, aware that he has brothers that are still alive, able to communicate with Abraham, who was in another, not dimension, but chamber, separated. One was called paradise, and the other one was Sheol, or hell. He was in torment. And he said, Father Abraham, if, if um, I'm, the reality is that he's there for eternity and nothing's going to change it. Maybe for the first time in his life, he thought, thought about family members that weren't, weren't going to come to the same place. So he said, would you send Lazarus from the dead? Surely if somebody comes back from the dead, they're going to start listening up. Well, no, not necessarily. Because what Abraham said to the rich man, they have the prophets. Interesting. They have the prophets. What does that mean? Well, it means they have Ezekiel. And they have Jeremiah. These are the prophets. They have Isaiah. They have the prophets. Let them listen to the prophets. But this guy knows his brothers, and he says, no, I know my brothers. They're not going to read the Bible, especially Jeremiah, especially Lamentations. And he says, well, if they don't believe the prophets, then neither will they believe if one rises from the dead. And so sort of the same thing here. Um, I'm sending you but uh, they're not going to listen uh, for all the house of, because they don't listen to me. And because they don't listen to me, they're not going to be able to listen to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. Verse 8, behold, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their forehead. Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them. And don't be dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. How many times we're afraid to bring up the subject? Or we have an open door and we're more worried about what people might think about us. Paul said, look, I'm a fool for Christ. And like the old song says, everybody's somebody's fool. And Paul just said, I don't care what people think. I could care less what people think. This is... um, This is what we've come to believe to be true. Good place for an amen. Amen. This is the truth. My word is truth is what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way in heaven by where you must be saved. And if you're really born again, you can't help but have a heart for the lost. It's just natural. It comes with the territory. You actually care about somebody else other than yourself when when you're born again. Because you have the truth, and there's this natural desire just to want to share and tell people, I'm just a, a beggar who found bread, and you're hungry too. And um, I know the bread maker. 
Matter of fact, he called himself the bread of life. And if you eat of him, you'll never be hungry again. He will satisfy, and only he can satisfy. So don't back down, even though they're hard-hearted. We all have hard-hearted friends. Don't give up on them. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you, and hear with your ears. And I want you to go to the, the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. And then the Spirit lifted me up. I heard behind me a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels beside them, and a great thunderous noise. What a way to get sent on a mission, huh? So the spirit lifted me up and he took me away and I went in bitterness in the heart of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. And then I came to the captives at Tel Abib who dwelt by the river Cherub. So he's now being taken to this place and this verse right here, I I'm, I'm amazed that it's only seven days. And when he got there, he said, I sat where they sat, and I remained there astonished. I would put my terminology in there with my mind blown among them for seven days. Imagine seeing this firsthand and trying to absorb it as a human. And, um, you know, it's just so overwhelming It's interesting that Job, when his friends came and they saw his suffering, that nobody said a word for how long? Seven days, same thing. And here, Ezekiel has just seen this incredible vision, received this incredible calling, and he's told, don't back down, no matter what. But when he finally took it all in, there's nothing he could do. It's just just sit down and be amazed. He had to be thinking, I saw the creator of the universe and what goes around his throne continually forever and ever. And the people aren't listening. The people have no conscious awareness of the presence of God. Now, we're supposed to be humble and not proud. Everybody agree with that? Uh, but our nature is to be prideful, self-serving, and self-seeking. Self is number one. Jesus said, love your neighbor as what? See, it's already a given that you love yourself. But when you're in the presence of God, it's a tremendously humbling thing. How does Isaiah say it? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his throne filled the temple. And he saw this, and his reaction, woe is me. Not praise the Lord, hallelujah, wow, what a vision. No, 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 no. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I shouldn't do. And now I'm in the presence of a holy, living God that has this for his entourage. Holy smokes. That was a poor pun, believe me, it wasn't planned. (laughs) But how can you be proud after that? Peter was always had foot and mouth disease. We know that about Pete, right? 
But when he had the catch of fish that was the biggest catch of his entire life, he looked at Jesus and he knew whose presence he was in. And he said, Lord, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. Always without exception, if there's real humility, it'll be a man or a woman who's really walking with their God. Because we get put in our place really quick in the presence of something or someone that is holy. Really good place for it, amen. So when we're told, you know, we're told to walk in the spirit so that we don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's just natural. It'll be like breathing. If you're aware of the, of the presence of the Lord, we try to create, we can't create anything. We like to try to set the stage with worship so that worship, we can come in having a terrible day and uh, going through a terrible trial or whatever. And all of a sudden you start singing these praise songs and they sort of just kind of float away and, oh yeah, this is what it's all about. This is why I'm here. I have a purpose. I have a meaning. I'm very unique. You're one of a kind. I'm one of a kind. And you're precious in his sight. An amazing thing that the creator of the universe, with all the things he could discuss or talk about, is that he's concerned for his people because they're so stubborn and stiff-necked. So he's going to give them the word. And it came, I need to continue, verse 16, it came to pass at the end of the seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. He's made you a watchman too, and me also. Therefore, hear the word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked ways, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Let me just stop at this point and say that the Lord is speaking specifically to a prophet. Hebrews 1. Um, the Lord in times past spoke to us through dreams and visions and the prophets. But in his latter days, he's spoken directly to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, here he's speaking through the prophets. Um, I don't believe if you don't witness to one of your friends that you're going to be held accountable for his salvation. I think we should share the gospel. But if they don't receive it, the Lord didn't say, all right, judgment on you. What did he say? Shake the dust off your feet and go to to talk to somebody who will listen. And um, there are those who apply this, and it's really a guilt trip is what it is, saying you better... You better witness now, because if you don't witness, the blood's on your head. And I believe this is, I believe that um, we all should be salt and light. That's all agreed. We should know the word. We should be able to um, defend the scriptures. We should be able to proclaim more than anybody else on the planet what's really coming down right now. We should be able to articulate it. We shouldn't be afraid. And, um, And yet having said that, if, um, if you don't, I don't think that uh, the Lord is going to hold you accountable in the same way that he does here. Uh, verse 19, yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked ways, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. 
Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because you did not give him warning. He shall die in his sins, and in his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Now coming to mind as I read this is 1 Corinthians 3. And um, it does talk about the judgment seat of Christ. And we are told that someday the Lord is going to wipe away every tear from our eye. Well, why would we be crying? I think part of it's going to be missed opportunities. Missed opportunities. Waste of time, waste of money, waste of resources, whatever. Where we could have, but we didn't. Uh, for those of you who watched Schindler's List, hard movie to watch about the Holocaust. Um, the very last scene of the movie is he's looking at his gold ring and that they had made and he had a pin or something like that. And he was known for getting Jews out of the concentration camps and putting them to work in, in his factories. But when the Americans came and liberated them from Auschwitz and these other concentration camps, they, they knew that uh, um, Schindler um, was working with the Nazis, so they were trying to get him out of Dodge to save his life, the Jews were. But he breaks down, and he's crying. And he looked at his ring, and he said, five Jews, I could have bought five Jews with, with this ring, and I kept it for myself. And so when the scriptures talk about wiping away any tears, all our sins are forgiven, but um, I think there's probably going to be regrets, not for all eternity. That's why he wipes them away. And then what does he say? The former things will what? Be remembered no more. Because I don't know if I could handle the thought in my head for all eternity that I might have made an impression on somebody who's in hell, and I didn't do it. I don't think the Lord is going to let me remember that. Even though maybe at the judgment seat of Christ, where the works that we do, both good and bad, are going to be brought to the surface. And uh, we'll be recording to you know, our faithfulness to the Lord um, and just press it on and not denying the gospel. All right, verse 22. Then the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go out into the plain, and there I will talk with you. And so I arose and went out into the plain. And behold, the glory of the Lord stood before me there, like the glory which I saw by the river Shabar. And I fell on my face. Then the Spirit entered me, and set me on my feet and spoke with me and said to me, go, shut yourself into your house. Now this is the beginning of chapter, I would put the beginning of chapter four right here. Because we just went from the vision in chapter one to the calling in chapter two to um, um, speaking it, number three, but much of the book of um, Ezekiel is gonna be illustrations. He's going to do an illustration to get people's attention so they'll listen to him. And here's the first one. He said, I want you to go shut your side and self in your house. And you, son of man, surely they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out from among them. I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and not be a, a reprover to them, for they are a rebellious house." 
But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you will say to them, thus says the Lord God, he who hears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. All the Lord is thinking about is his people. When you read Psalm 139, David, in contemplating this thought, said, Lord, how often do you think of me? And where can I go to get away from you? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the farthest places out in the sea, you're there. And when I awake, you're still thinking about me, and your thoughts towards me are more than the sands of the sea. And we think, well, that can't be literal. Well, let me ask you this. If he counts the numbers of the stars and knows exactly how many there are in this galaxy, and he calls them all by name, I take that literally, then I don't think it's much of a stretch that the sands on this planet, with all the beaches and deserts and, and the Sahara, count them all up. And David says he, he thinks more of me than the sands of the sea. And you say, that's impossible. There's not enough time. No, 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 no. There is no time. And he knew you, what does it say? Before the foundation of the earth. David said, you knew me before I was in my mother's room. And your days were all planned out before me, all written out in a book. So I take it literal that um, the creator of the universe is enamored with you. And he counts the hairs on your head and he knows exactly how many they are. And uh, let's go into chapter four so we can finish up. We change now, when we get into this chapter, into the main, some of the main ways that Ezekiel is gonna communicate. The first truth that he needs to get across to them is you guys aren't going anywhere. So how to get that message across? The false prophets are saying you're going home. The Lord says you're not. So in these chapters four and five, he's going to use certain signs and act out certain parables before the people. At this time, Jerusalem was not yet destroyed. And the false prophets were telling the people of Israel that they were going to have peace. They were saying that the Jews already in Babylonian captivity would return to their land shortly. But Ezekiel is going going to confirm the word of Jeremiah who had told them that they would not go back and that Jerusalem would be destroyed. So imagine you're in a captivity, you're in Babylon. Ezekiel's there, Jeremiah is back in, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has not yet fallen. And now the Lord says your message is to let the people know, you guys better settle in, you aren't going anywhere, no matter what the false prophets are saying. So verse one. You also, son of man, take a clay tablet and lay it before you in a portrait on the city of Jerusalem. Lay siege against it, build a siege wall against it, heap up a mound against it, set camps against it, and place battering rams against it all around. Moreover, take for yourself an iron plate and set it as an iron wall between you and the city and set your face against it and the city and it shall be besieged, and you shall lay siege against it, and this will be a sign to the house of Israel. Jerusalem's coming down, even though it hasn't come down yet. The next sign. Now, Ezekiel, lay on your left side, 
and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it according to the number of days that you lie on it, you shall bear their iniquity. Now before I go any farther, I want to remind you that when he says Israel, he's talking about the ten northern tribes that were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. So then he's going to say Judah. So let's read um, the ten northern tribes first in verse 5. I will have you laid on on, uh, the years for the iniquity according to the number of the days, 390 days. You shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when you have completed them, lie on your right side, and then you will bear the iniquity for the house of Judah 40 days. I have laid on you a day for each year. Therefore, you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem. Your arm shall be uncovered, and you shall prophesy against it. And surely I will constrain you so that you cannot turn from one side to another till you have ended the days of your siege. And you go, you've got to be kidding. He laid there literally 390 days on one side, and then he got to roll over on the other side for another 40 days. Um, I'm not going to be dogmatic because I quite honestly don't know. Obviously, supernaturally, the Lord could do that. No doubt about it, right? Maybe he just did it during the day, and then he went someplace to sleep at night. The scripture doesn't tell us. It gives the impression that it was continuous. So now we have the problem of nutrition and survival, if that's the case. So we address that now. All you gals here of Ezekiel bread? You ever wonder where it came from? (laughs) Well, it came from these verses we're about to read. You can go to any grocery store and buy Ezekiel bread. And also, for yourself, wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt, put them into one vessel and make bread of them for yourself during the number of days that you lie on your side. 390 days you will eat it. And your food which you will eat will be by weight, 20 shekels a day, four times um, from time to time you shall eat it. Now the water. You shall also drink water by measure, one-sixth of a hen from time to time you shall drink. And you shall eat it as barley cakes and bake it, here's the gross part, using the fuel of human waste in their sight. Now Ezekiel's taking this all in. And he goes, Lord, I was with you all the way up to that last recipe part. And he said, Lord, shall the children of Israel eat their defiled bread among the Gentiles where I've driven them? So I said, oh, Lord God, indeed, I've never defiled myself from my youth till now. I've never eaten uh, what's dead of itself or was torn by a beast nor has an abominable flesh come into my mouth. Then he said to me, okay, see, I have given you cow dung. Oh, good, we don't have to use human dung. We get to use cow poop instead. Instead of human waste, and you will prepare your bread over it. Yummy. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem, and you, they shall eat bread by weight with anxiety and drink water by measure and with dread. So it's a sign, it's a parable, it's an illustration that they may lack bread and water and be dismayed with one another 
and waste away because of their iniquity. Let me just sum up chapter four before we pray. What he's communicating to them and what they're wrestling with, these exiles in Babylon, is look, Ezekiel, you're just one guy. We got all kinds of prophets that are telling us just the opposite of what you're saying. And so now we get into the illustrations. And the Lord is saying, no, 390 days just for Israel, another 40 days just for Judah. You guys aren't going anywhere. You're going to be here for the duration of the time, so don't listen to the false prophets. Ezekiel was called with this message to warn them, and in his case, it was a heavy task. Not to compromise with any of it. Whatever I say, you tell them. And if you don't tell them, then I'm going to hold you personally accountable. Now, I think that was just for Ezekiel, but he doesn't. To Jeremiah's credit, um, he was faithful. Amen? 40 years, he didn't compromise. He didn't change his mind once. Even when he was in a prison or in a dungeon, didn't matter. It was the word of the Lord. So let's have a closing application. Our country is going down the tubes every week faster than the day before. And they want us to compromise um, with everything from um, sex education to our fifth and sixth year grades and teaching classes so that they can identify uh, what sex they really are. Can you imagine your grandma and grandpa or even your mother and father hearing such a thing? Of course not, because it's crazy. And yet that's the world that we live in. It's just a small minority of the homosexual community has radicalized the liberal left and now they have it in the press, so you're totally politically incorrect. What are you getting at, Dwight? There's a lot of pressure on the church and society to compromise. And so we as Christians are saying, no, my Bible says let no man be deceived. And you quote to them, 1 Corinthians, and you tell them don't be deceived. Um, Neither um, adulterer, thief, stealer, homosexual, sodomite, they just go through the list. Don't be deceived, you're not going to heaven. Contrary to what the Pope is telling us now that everybody's going to heaven. And um, as a leader of the of the, uh, the Church of Rome, he's telling everybody, everybody's going to be saved. Well, guess what? That's not true. Uh, everybody's not going to be saved. And so when people roll their eyes at you and and call you an extreme homophobic right-wing <laughs> radical Christian holier than thou thrown in on top of it all, you can say, I really don't care. I'm not going to give an account to you someday. I know the truth. I'm not going to compromise with it. I know what my Bible says. I'm kind of worried if I have any fear at all. It's the last couple of verses of the Bible. I said, if I add anything to it or take away anything from it, I'm in big trouble. And so I fear that. It's one of the safety valves that, and one of the reasons that we do what we do. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, just cracked out the first four chapters of the book of Ezekiel. And I hope that you go out tonight with a spirit of awe of chapter one of the book of Ezekiel and just let it set in what is trying to be described here. And uh, it is just totally mind-blowing. Let's stand and we will pray.
Lord, thank you for your word as we begin the book of Ezekiel. And, wow, what can we say, Lord, about your throne? How awesome, what an awesome God your word lays out and who you are. And as we make the connections between Revelation and Ezekiel 1 and the awesomeness of your presence and your holiness, um, Lord, we need to be humbled and we need to have a fresh awareness of who you are and, and your glory. And in the meantime, Lord, we just pray that like Ezekiel, that we wouldn't be afraid of people and um, that when you open a door for us, that we will take advantage of it and be able to share what you've put in our mouth to speak. So Lord, we hold this book up to you. We hold the rest of this night up to you. I thank you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.